Amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, and we are in Matthew chapter 11. And so, as you're opening your Bibles, as you begin to just think about, you know, the, uh, as you're beginning just to to open your Bibles and as you're meditating and thinking about what are we talking about this morning, you know what, I just want to, first of all, ask you here, how many of you have have ever doubted your faith? Anybody have doubted your faith? What about just struggled with it? You know, I mean, there's there's a struggle that we have and and there's a struggle that we have with what the Bible says, believing it, and, and really just, you know what, as, as God's Word has been given to us, there is always a struggle to believe the truth of it. And so, for us, I want to make sure that we understand one thing, that we are not to be surprised or to be ashamed for doubting, because this is really what happens to us as believers. For if you say that you've never doubted, I want you to know this, that you are a person that will be doubted, because every Christian experiences a feeling of doubt at one time or another. No matter how strong your faith is, understand this, that doubt will knock at your door and you will open it. And believe me, it happens. I want to share this truth with you and I want to give you something to ponder, something to think about as we, as we talk about doubt. Though doubt may be a sign of weak faith, it can also be the sign of strong faith. And so as, uh, as we think about that, as we meditate on that, I want you to understand one thing is that, is that it is something that, that happens to each and every one of us. You know, as we look at this, right, we all have been told that doubting is not good. And, and one thing that we know is that is that yes, we do sometimes feel condemned or sometimes we feel like, you know what, that, you know what, that doubt isn't good. And, and we understand that. But understand this is that when your doubt has been replaced with truth and faith, as I shared with you, your faith will be made stronger. Okay? The Lord wants to speak to us on doubt and He knows that every single one of His children struggle with this. And He's going to speak to us on the struggle that we have with doubt. He also wants us to understand doubt. And He also is going to show us how to overcome doubt. Okay, so understand, again, this message is strictly on doubt. So let's begin to read. We're going to read in Matthew 11. We're going to read beginning in verse 1. And we're going to go all the way through verse 15. And so Matthew 11 verse 1 says this. It says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding His twelve disciples, that He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of His disciples and said to Him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, 
And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, as we read this portion of Scripture, and that's where we'll stop, I want you to know, and as we've been reading, it all talks about John the Baptist. But most importantly for us today, it's all about a great man's struggle with doubt. Okay, I want us to know that. I want us to to really sense what is happening here as we read the Scriptures about John the Baptist. He is struggling. He is struggling with his faith. You know, what's been going on up unto this point? You know, we spent two Sundays on the apostles' teaching and training. You know, they received teachings from Jesus. They received trainings, training from Him. And after they were taught and after they were trained, the Lord sent them out. He sent out every single one of them, right? He sent out the twelve apostles. And I want you to know that is the teacher's desire. That is anybody that is called a teacher, that is his desire. To teach and to train you so that all of you can go out to do the work of the Lord. To go out to your families, to go out to your friends, to go out to your neighborhoods, to go out into your workplaces and to share what you've been taught, to walk in whatever He's trained you, to do the things that He has shown you. See, it is not God's desire or it is not my desire that all of you would just stay here in your seats and to do nothing with what God has taught you. It is God's desire and it is my desire that you would do the things that He has taught you. To teach the things, to share the things that He has taught you. See, and so as we think about this, right, this is what Jesus has done with the twelve apostles. And this is where we're at now. And so as we come into verse 1, know that this is what's been happening. And now let's read verse 1 and we'll look at the individual verses to see what God wants to teach us. Verse 1 says this, Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding His twelve disciples that He departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. What we've been talking about. He showed them, He says, you know what, I taught you, I trained you, now go out. I want you to go out into into the city and to teach what I've been sharing. You know, we have two verbs here. You know, when it comes to what Jesus did is after He sent them out, He actually took it upon His own heart to go and to teach in the cities, in their cities. He's talking about the, the cities of the apostles. He's talking about the city of Galilee and all the surrounding cities around there. This is what he, what he did, right? I mean, God just didn't... As you can see, He Himself, as He was showing the apostles to do something, He Himself is doing the same thing. He's just not kicking back. He's actually going out and doing His own work as, as He is led by the Lord, by God Himself. And so He does two things here. He says that He goes out to teach and to preach. These two verbs, I want you to understand, they don't mean the same thing. I want you to understand that they do not do the same thing. See, when it comes to teaching, I want you to understand this. Teaching is for the learned, for the disciples, for the saved. Okay, that's what teaching is for. I'm here to teach all of you guys because you guys are here to learn. Right? Most of you are saved here. And so as most of you are saved, you're here to, to learn about God, to know about God, and to know what, what His will is for your life. I want you to understand what preaching means. Preaching is for the unsaved. It's for those that don't know anything about God. It's to, it's to give them the gospel so that they can hear the gospel, so that they can surrender themselves to the gospel and experience the blessings of God. That is what preaching is for. When it comes to Sundays, yes, Sundays bring in the saved, but we also know that it also brings in the unsaved. But the majority of the people that are here on Sundays are the saved, those that know God. And we know one thing that Jesus did is He went into the synagogues to teach, right? He went in there to teach those that knew of God. But He came to reveal the truth of His Word to them. And so He does this with the disciples. I do this with, with most of you. And, and, and we know that there are two days out of the year that, that many of the unsaved come to church. And what are those two days? Christmas. And Easter. And so our messages on those days are a little more preachy, right? Because we're there to preach and to teach the unsaved. 
So now let's go into verses 2 and 3. And we're gonna now, go, now we're going to get into really the points that God wants to talk about when it comes to doubt. So verse 2 says this, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Okay, let's stop here. As we, as we look at this, right, there's... There's here the insight that John is in prison, and this is very important for us. It's very important for us to know that John is in prison, and I'll share with you why in just a few seconds. But why is it that John was in prison? If we go a few chapters over to Matthew 14, Matthew reveals to us why John went to prison. And so let's look at this. It's in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 3. He shares with us why. It says, Therefore Herod had laid hold of John and bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So we have here, right, we have some insight as to why John is in prison. We're talking about John the Baptist. And I want to give you further insight, because it's important for us as we examine these scriptures. Herod was the king of the Jews. He was actually appointed as king by Rome. He is actually the ruler there in Galilee. And what he did at one time is he went to visit his brother in Rome. And when he went to visit his brother in Rome, he actually took a liking to his brother's wife and he ended up seducing her. And then what he ended up doing is he moved back home, right? And, and, and he decided to divorce his own wife, and to steal his brother's wife. So this was his plan. This is what he did, right? He, he went, he saw his brother's wife, he seduced her, and he brings her back home, and he plans to divorce his wife and to marry Herodias. And so when John heard of this, understand this, we're talking about John the Baptist, when he heard about it, you know what he did? is exactly what it tells us in Matthew. He told King Herod to his face that he was a sinner and an adulterer. And based on that, John the Baptist was thrown into prison. This is all key, right, as far as him in prison. See, because the Holy Spirit wants us to know why he was in prison. And to lay the foundation for our teaching on doubt. See, the Holy Spirit wants to lay now the foundation for our teaching on doubt. You know, John the Baptist is in prison, and while he's in prison, he hears about the works and the miracles of Christ. And so he does something interesting, as, as we read there, right? He sends two of his disciples, and he goes to Jesus, he tells his disciples to go to Jesus, and to ask him if he is the coming one, or do they look for another? The coming one was another name for the Messiah. And it's strange that John would ask him this, right? John the Baptist, it blows me away that he would ask him this. Because remember, John the Baptist saw the Holy Spirit come from heaven above and to land upon Jesus and to remain with Jesus. See, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 32, understand this, is that we have here, we have here that, the spirit, that, that, that John is a witness of the Spirit of God coming upon Jesus and remaining with Him. And if John is asking this, remember, this is a witness of John the Baptist. If John the Baptist is asking this very question, if this very man who is called the greatest of all prophets is doubting, how much more will we? How much more will we doubt if John the Baptist, who saw the Spirit come upon John, doubt? See, which brings me to my first point, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you six points, and I'm going to speak them slowly since we don't have somebody right now to put it up on the screen for all of you. But the first thing that I want to share with you is this. The first point is that we all doubt. Again, I'm going to prove this to you. I'm going to prove this to you that we all doubt. And I want you to take comfort in knowing 
that every Christian doubts. Okay? But we know that as Christians, we are called not to doubt. How many of you have been told not to doubt? Especially when you've been weak in your faith, right? They tell you, what do they tell you? Come on, get with it. You've got to have more faith. But the reality is, is that we doubt. It is a part of our walk with God. I want you to understand that we are all a work that is undone. We are human. We are not glorified. We are now going through a process of sanctification. And so as we realize this, right, that we are not a work that is, uh, that is done. We are an undone work of God. And so I want to share with you some of the great men that doubt it. You know, so that it can bring comfort to us that we are not alone. On Wednesdays, we are going through First and Second Samuel. We've been talking about David and King David and, and just the, the amazing works of David and also his failures. And here is one of them. Okay, and we always look at King David as a, really as a, as a, you know what, as a, um, a model of faith. But look at what happens to David in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. Let me read it to you. It said, And David said in his heart, Now sh- I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. So what David is saying here is, David is saying that, you know what, I'm doubting the promises of God. I'm going to perish in the hand of Saul. King Saul is going to capture me and he's going to kill me. And guess what? God is not going to fulfill his promise to me. This was the heart of David. This is, what David. this is what's going in the mind of David. See, every man and woman of faith in the Bible has struggled with doubt. Imagine this. The apostles who were walking with Jesus, who saw the miracles of Jesus, who saw Jesus healing, who saw Him healing the lame, giving speech to the mute, allowing the deaf to hear, allowing the blind to see, raising from the dead, that they still were doubting. That they themselves were doubting the truth of the Lord. See, every apostle that walked with Jesus doubted Him. And this is why Jesus time and time again would tell them to stop doubting and to have faith. Look at what it says in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 22. It says this. So Jesus answered and said to them, to the disciples, Have faith in God, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be moved and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that these things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So you have Jesus here uh, reminding us not to have doubt in our hearts. Even the Apostle Paul had to remind Timothy of the Lord's desire in each and every one of us. And he speaks this in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. So as you can see here, there is a continuous reminder on the fact that we should not be doubting. We're hearing it over and over again. Why do we hear it over and over again? Because this is part of who we are. We doubt. There's a doubting that happens to us as believers. And it happens to believers because he's talking here about Christians, right? And we're having the examples of Christians that are doubting. But most great men of faith outside of the Bible have also struggled with doubt. How many of us are familiar with Charles Spurgeon? Many of you are familiar with Charles Spurgeon, right? And look at what he talks about doubt. He himself struggled with doubt, this amazing man of faith, this amazing man that taught with great faith and preached the gospel with great faith. Look at what he says about doubt. He says, Some of us who have preached the word for years and have been the means of working faith in others and of establishing them in the knowledge of the fundamental doctrines of the Bible, he's talking about himself here. He's saying, you know what? You know that many of us, including myself, have preached the Word for years and have been instrumental in bringing faith and the knowledge of the doctrines of the Bible into your life. Look at what he says. Have nevertheless been the subjects of the most fearful and violent doubts as to the truth of the very gospel we have preached. So what he's saying is that, you know what? We that have given you this have also struggled deeply with doubt. And we preach it and we teach it. 
See, not only Charles Spurgeon and not only David, King David, but every man or woman of faith have struggled with this. For the ladies, how many of you are familiar with Amy Carmichael? Amy Carmichael struggled with faith. Billy Graham struggled with faith. He doubted. He struggled with doubt. When we look at Chuck Smith, he struggled with doubt. When we look at Kay Smith, his wife, she struggled with doubt. When you look at Martin Luther, name any man or woman of great faith, and they have all struggled with doubt. And we see here, as we read about John the Baptist, he himself is struggling with doubt. And the only reason I bring all these examples to you is because many times we condemn ourselves as well as the devil condemns you for doubting. See, this is what happens to us, right? We have the devil that is constantly pounding at us and saying, you know what? You can't be a Christian because you doubt. Or we ourselves condemn ourselves because we doubt. See, we do not forgive ourselves. But believe me, God does forgive you in your doubt and He loves you in your doubt and we're going to see this in a few. Point number two. Point number two, I want to give you this. Is the genesis of doubt is the trial. The genesis of doubt is the trial. In other words, the origin of doubt is the trial. Remember, where is John? John is in prison, okay? And do you think if everything was going so well with John that he would be doubting? I believe not. See, trials spark our doubt. Whenever you have a problem or a trial that arises, it sparks your doubt. You immediately begin to question the Lord, why is this happening? If you are truly God, why do you allow this? I thought you loved me. If you really love me, why is this happening to me? If you're in complete control of all things, why didn't you stop this? See, immediately we have these doubts that come. Why do they come? Because there's a trial or a problem that has happened. You immediately begin to question who He is and you question His Word. And this is what John the Baptist is doing, right? In verse 3 he says to his disciples, Ask Him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? He is questioning. He is questioning whether Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah. Let me give you a picture of what's happening in John. Remember, John is in prison, right? And John was, a free, was as free as a bird. Remember, John loved to be in the wilderness, right? John loved to be out in the open. And guess what? Now he's stuck between four walls. And John isn't very comfortable with this, right? John is out of his comfort zone. And believe me, he's hearing rumblings of his coming death. And most of all, he doesn't have his locusts to eat, right? And so as we think about this, right, as we think about John the Baptist, he's, you know what, he's struggling right now. There's a trial that is before him, and so doubt has come. And the same thing happens with us. Whenever you are faced with a trial, understand this, God wants you to understand and to know that you will be hit with doubt. I'm going to give you now a personal testimony here. You know what, when we had to leave the church there on Amar in California, just a few houses down, believe me, doubt crept in in me. Doubt in myself. Doubt in God's promises. And this is what happens, right? Because trials are the genesis of doubt. And I want to further prove my point. I want to prove my point with something that happened with one of the apostles. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to read, they're beginning in verse 29. And as you're turning there, I want to give you sort, sort of what's been going on. Jesus decides to walk on water. Okay, Jesus is walking on water. And when the disciples see Jesus walking on water, the immediate thing that overcomes them is fear. And so Jesus knows that they're afraid, and so immediately Jesus cries out to comfort them. And immediately after that, Peter asks, he asked Jesus, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And this is where we pick it up on verse 29. So he said to them, 
So he said to Peter, I should say, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Understand this, as Peter was walking on water, he did one of the most or one of the greatest miracles that any man has ever done, that any man has ever experienced to walk on water. Can any of us walk on water? None of us can walk on water. But Peter was able to walk on water as long as he focused on Jesus. But immediately when a, when a problem hit him, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, and he looked at the boisterous wind and the boisterous waves, that immediately he began to sink. And this is when Jesus tells him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, when he was focused on Jesus, when things were well, he was able to walk on water, but as soon as a problem hit him, when he realized there was a problem before him with the wind and the waves, immediately doubt crept in. We're going to go now to the third point. Because as we see the the origin of doubt comes when the problem hits. But what happens when the problem hits? What are we instructed to do? We get this in verse 3. And John said to his disciples to say to Jesus, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Understand that the third point that Jesus, that the Lord wants us to work, that the Spirit of God wants us to, to learn, is this, is that doubt propels prayer. Doubt propels prayer. In other words, doubt should move you to go directly to Jesus. If you want to overcome your doubt, we must be a people that go to Jesus immediately when we have doubt. This is what we learn from John the Baptist. He didn't immediately start talking to, to his disciples about it and to start saying you know what this is happening to me i you know what i'm hearing all these things about jesus is he really the messiah no when he called his disciples it was because he wanted them to give jesus a word to ask jesus a question to come directly to jesus and to ask him are you the coming one or do we look for another see you and i as a people we must learn to go to jesus when doubt hits Don't let it fester. Don't let it brew. Because we are supposed to let Jesus know everything. See, Jesus wants us to go to Him and wants us to present our problem to Him. The worst thing that we can do to, the worst thing that we can do as believers is this. It's to go to people and to say, or to ask them, you know what? Don't you agree if, If Jesus was real, He wouldn't allow this to happen. If He was real, why would He let this go on? You know what, I'm in this problem. If Jesus truly loved me, do you think that He would allow this to happen to me? See, when you begin to do that, guess what you're doing? You're planting seeds of doubt. You are planting the seeds of doubt upon others. And this is the work of the enemy. The enemy wants you to do exactly this. But God wants us to go directly to Him. It's just like anything else. You cannot be healed of doubt unless you first admit it and confess it. When you admit and confess that you have a problem, then you're on the what? Road to recovery. And the same thing it is with Jesus. Unless you go to Jesus to tell Him and to admit that you are doubting, That you are confessing your doubt to Him, telling Him, you know what, Lord? I am doubting you right now. I need help. I'm going through an issue. I'm going through a problem. Then guess what? Then you can be healed of it. See, remember the story of that man that had a demon-possessed child? He loved his son so very much. And he goes to Jesus, and then Jesus asks him, he says, how long has this been happening? And the father says, it's been happening from childhood. And then he asked Jesus for help. And this is how Jesus responds in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 23, where he says, If you can believe, Jesus is saying this to this man, If you can believe, 
all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. See, he went to Jesus with a heart of sincerity. He was broken by his son. And what had happened to his son? And in this broken state, in this brokenness of his, that he goes to Jesus and he, he, has, he tells Jesus, Jesus, you know what, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Jesus met him that day, understand this, and Jesus healed his son. Because why? Because he came to Jesus and as he saw this, as he saw what Jesus did, his doubt was removed from him. And this is what Jesus wants us to do. See, what we see happening here is exactly what Jesus is going to do. He, he is going to remove the doubt because John went to him with sincerity, admitting and confessing his doubt. Let's read verse 4 and look at it. Verse 4 says, Jesus answered and said to him, to them, go, <coughs> excuse me, go and tell John the things which you hear and say. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus tells John's disciples, you yourself have seen it, and you yourself have heard it. That the blind see, that the lame walk, that the lepers are cleansed, that the deaf hear and the death rise and the poor have the good news. Go and tell the things you see and hear. You know why Jesus needed to do this? I want you to know one important truth. Is that our doubt will cloud you from seeing clearly. See, you become, you put yourself in a fog where you are no longer seeing clearly. See, we have this, this cloud around us that we're no longer seeing clearly. Which brings me to my, first po my fourth point. See, God wants you to see clearly. And so as you come to Him admitting and confessing your doubt, point number four is this. God helps us to overcome doubt. God helps us to overcome doubt. But unless you go unless you confess, unless you admit, how are you going to overcome it? It's just like everything else, right? We need to admit to it to overcome it. And what I love about Jesus and what He does with John the Baptist is that Jesus isn't upset or annoyed with John's doubt. How many of us have been annoyed at people that are constantly doubting and they come to you and you tell them the same thing over and over again and you get upset and you get annoyed and you're just like, have faith, just have faith. Right? I mean, it happens, right? I mean, this is the way we are as people. We're an unfinished work, both on the one that's counseling and both the one that needs to be counseled. We're all messed up. We're all messed up people. And so as we see here, right, we see the perfect God, though, that we serve. He's not annoyed. He's not upset. He's not surprised. He's not embarrassed. But what does He do? He sends a word to John. See, Jesus will always send us a word. He will send you a sign to help you overcome your doubt. He's either going to do it himself or he's going to send someone to do this. I mentioned to you on this personal testimony of mine, right? It was, believe me, it was a real hard time when we lost the building on Amor in California. Believe me, I was doubting even though, you know what, I... I didn't reflect this to any of you, but in my heart, I was doubting. I was doubting God's Word. I was doubting God Himself. I was doubting my calling and thinking, man, all these things are happening. Why? It was a very difficult time for me. But see, well, God is so amazing. And I bring this to you because as John sent, as Jesus sent the disciples of John to John, the Lord sent someone to comfort me. What was amazing about this is that one day I get a call from the secretary of the Lutheran district, the ones that are in charge of the Lutherans in the, in the Pacific Southwest. And she tells me, you know what, the president wants to go into the building and he wants to look at, his, look at our possessions and to see what we have there. And I said, sure. And what was amazing about this time is that, see, he was sent from God and and Paul, is, who is here, he's a testimony of this. In other words, it's just not me sharing this with you. He's a witness as to what exactly he said. 
you know, as he, as he came, right? And he says, why are you guys leaving so soon? And I said, well, we're leaving because, you know what? I mean, you guys asked us to leave. He says, but, but wait up. The, our escrow isn't closing until April. So, you know what? This isn't right that we're asking you to leave. And so he was upset about that. And being that he was upset about it, I just felt compelled to ask him. And this was the Lord, right? To ask him, well, did you know that we bid on this property to buy it also? And the words out of his mouth were, we never knew that you wanted to buy the property. And I was just blown away by that, right? And he says, but I'm not in charge of the finances. So they may have communicated that with somebody else. So I got the name of the other person that, 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 that is in charge of the finances. And then I called him and I said, did you ever receive an offer that we wanted to buy this building? And he says, no, I'm sorry to tell you that we never received an offer. You know what brought this? It brought me great comfort. You know why? Because I realized that this was a spiritual attack. This is what I needed to know. I needed to know, why did this happen? What happened? We heard from you, Lord. You gave us your word, but yet, you know what? It didn't happen. Why? And God was telling me, don't worry about it. This is a spiritual attack, and I have a perfect place for you. See, this is what, how God comforts us, Right? See, He sends a word, He sends a sign because He wants to squash our doubt. And this is, why in Jesus, this is why Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Once we have truth that has been given to us, guess what happens? The doubt is squashed. Jesus sent, he said, he sent message to John, and these were eyewitnesses of the power of God and what God was doing and the truth was brought to John so that John would not doubt. And this brings me now to our fifth point as we read here in verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Our fifth lesson on doubt is this. Blessings come without and after the doubt. Blessings come without and after the the doubt. I'm first going to talk about blessings that come without the doubt, and then I'll give you why the blessings come after the doubt. I know they contradict themselves, but there is much truth to both of these. How many of you remember the Beatitudes that we went over in Matthew chapter 5? Many of you were going through it. Many of you went through the Beatitudes with us. Here you have a Beatitude, and the Beatitude is this, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessings come to the person who is not offended because of Jesus. Remember what the word blessed means. The word blessed in the Greek is a word markarios. And what does this word mean? This word means, it is basically an adjective that means happy or having great joy. That's what blessed means. That's what the word markarios there in the Beatitudes means. It means to be happy or to have great joy. Okay? So Jesus is saying you're going to be happy you will be blessed, you will be happy, you will have great joy if you are not offended because of me. So what Jesus is saying, you know what? Understand this. When we look at the word offended, because i got to share this before I go into what Jesus is trying to say. The word offended in the Greek is a word skandaliso. Okay, skandaliso, which means to entrap, which means to stumble. Okay, that's what the word offended means there, right? Where he says there, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not stumbled or trapped because of me. In other words, what he's trying to say is that don't let anything I do or anything I say to trap you in doubt or to stumble you in doubt. Don't let anything that I say to trap you in doubt or to stumble you in doubt. The reason why he says this, remember I said that there's two points. Blessings come without the doubt and blessings come after the doubt. Blessings come without the doubt because one thing that doubt does is doubt loves to rob you of the joy of the Lord. Okay? It steals that childlike faith. I want you to know when doubt comes, you no longer have the joy of the Lord and you are no longer walking like, or you are not, no longer walking in childlike faith. Let me give you the example of children. 
Children are always happy, right? Because they never doubt a word you say. Children, you tell them something and they smile and they say, Great! They believe everything you say. Why? Because they have no doubt. See, these are, this is what, 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 what doubting does. It, it squashes the joy of the Lord. It squashes this joy. See, Jesus wants us to be like children that have no doubt. Because He knows that you are just going to be walking in joy. Okay, now let's talk about the blessings that come after the doubt. Jesus also knows that, you know what? That doubting comes with the territory. It is something that's expected. Though doubt is a sign of weakness, it is also a blessing. And why do I say it's a blessing? Because the blessings that come after the doubt, there are great blessings that come after the doubt. And you know what the blessing is that comes after the doubt? Is your faith is stronger. Your faith is stronger. Why? Because God is who He says He is and He always shares with us the truth. And when you have received the truth, understand this, you realize one thing that, you know what, you should never have doubted Him. And your faith becomes stronger, right? Because now you've gone over the doubting, you've realized that they were lies that you were believing, and now it's truth and your faith has grown because of the doubt. See, how many of us in times past that once truth has been revealed, that your faith has grown stronger? My faith is stronger than it was before, right? Why? Because I've gone through the trial, I've doubted, and then God revealed the truth to me, and so now I walk in greater strength. I am, being mature, I am maturing in my faith like many of you. You're becoming stronger in your faith, and this is what James talks about in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. My brethren... Count it all joy. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 2, James, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. This happens to us, right? We're tossed to and fro with doubt. But when doubt has actually been squashed, when it is no longer there, it strengthens our faith and we become stronger and perfect and complete. We're going to go into our final point and we're going to read beginning in verse 7. It says this, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he who it, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send you my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those, who, among those born of women there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I'm going to give you our seventh point. And this is one that is just so amazing to me because it points to the grace of God. Point number six is this. Jesus defends the doubter. Jesus defends the doubter. Instead of casting away the doubter, like many people do, He defends His own. And understand this, if God does not defend you for your doubts, why do we, I'm sorry, if God does not condemn you for your doubts, why do we condemn ourselves? If God does not condemn you for your doubts, why do we condemn ourselves? See, Jesus, no time, in no time as we're reading here, did He condemn John. But He defended John. And He begins to share how amazing John is. He says, John is a reed shaken by the wind. Is John a reed shaken by the wind, He's asking? And Jesus is basically saying, John is not a weak man that is moved by every wind that blows his way. You guys know that? You know this of John. He's not a weak man that is blown by every wind that blows his way. 
nor is he a man with soft clothing from king's houses. In other words, he's just not another man that was sent by an earthly king. He is much more than this. He says he is a prophet, and not just any prophet, but greater than a prophet. Why does he say he is greater than a prophet? I want you to know this. I'm going to give you a few of these reasons. One, because he announced the arrival of the King of Kings, the Messiah. This is why he is greater than these prophets. He, they, I mean, he actually announced the arrival, I should say. He announced that he would come and he came. He fulfilled prophecy about himself. John fulfilled prophecy about himself, being the messenger of the Lord. It was spoken of way back and he fulfilled that prophecy. Not only this, but he baptized Jesus. He fulfilled and lived out his calling. This man was a great prophet. And Jesus says he is, that there was no one greater than John. And if Jesus says this, then in fact, he truly is. And I want you to know this. As we talk about this great man, imagine this. Jesus defended this great man in his weakest state. He defended this man in his weakest state, which was a state of doubt. How amazing is the God that we serve. I mean, to, to defend those that are in their weakest state, to defend you when you are in sin, to defend you when you have doubt. And this is why Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. See, God is our defense. God's grace is clearly seen here. Defending the weak, defending the sinner who have been called, who have been chosen, and who have been cleansed by God. This is the God that we serve, a God that is so gracious, a God that is willing to defend you when you are sinning, a God that is willing to defend you when you are at your weakest point. And let's close with these final verses beginning in verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Why would he say this? Because the kingdom of God was under attack. The Jews and the, and the religious leaders, they rejected the message of John. They rejected the message from Jesus. And so the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was under attack. And he goes on to say, and everything the prophets spoke on, what they prophesied, from the first to the last, here being John, they spoke about Jesus the Messiah, but they rejected His message as well as the message from the Messiah. You know, Jesus brings up a very important point here about Elijah. And the reason He brings this up is He wants to show them what He would have done. See, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says this, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. See, Jesus says that, you know what? If you are willing to receive it, He is Elijah who is to come. Jesus is saying He would have been the Elijah. He symbolizes. He comes as, Eli as I promised that Elijah would. See, the, the Lord was trying to say to them that if you would have received Him for who He was, I would have immediately set up my kingdom on earth. The millennial kingdom would have arrived. The thousand year reign would have immediately happened if you would have received them as Elijah. Because Elijah was promised that he would come. But they didn't receive them. They rejected the Lord and the messenger. And so Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The Lord spoke to us on doubt today. I want to remind you the things that He spoke on. He says that we, all, that we all doubt. He says that the genesis of doubt is the trial. He says that doubt propels prayer. He said that God helps us to overcome doubt. And blessings come without and after the doubt. And Jesus defends the doubter. These points that He has given us are very important for us because we will all be faced with doubt. But I want you to realize the greatest point of this, of these were this, is that Jesus defends the doubter. Jesus defends the doubter. It speaks of the grace of God. If you are a sinner and you need God, understand this, is that God is willing to forgive each and every one of you. No matter who you are, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter what doubt you've had, 
And if this is you, Jesus is asking to come in and to be part of the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you now that opportunity. I want everyone's eyes to close, everyone's heads to bow. And if you want Jesus Christ, if you want the forgiveness of sin, if you want to have this great defender that is even willing to defend you in your sin, you must place your faith in Jesus Christ. This opens the door for heaven above. It allows us to receive all the blessings of God, the forgiveness of God, to allow the weights off our shoulders and to walk in the newness of life, to be those new creations. And if you want the forgiveness of God, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Anybody wanting to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, amen, amen, amen. (coughs) Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? God is calling. God loves you. God wants you to experience His love and His forgiveness. Anyone else before we close? Don't let the enemy keep your hand down. Anyone else? Lord, you saw these hands that went up. And these hands that went up, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. Give me the power by your Holy Spirit to live a life that is pleasing to you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. Thank you for dying for me, for my sins. And I pray this in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask one more question here. And I believe this is a struggle that we all have. And in order to be delivered and to be healed of doubt, we must admit it and we must confess it. And if there's anyone here that is struggling with doubt, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we will pray for you. Amen. 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 Lord, you see all these hands that go up. Lord, we all doubt. It's part of our life. But in order to be healed of doubt, we must admit it and we must confess it. For those of you that raised your hand, confess it now to Jesus. Confess your doubt. Share with Him your doubt. Admit your doubt. Lord, we thank You. For now the healing begins and I know that there is a healing that is going on. Show us, Lord. Overcome this doubt. For we know that You can because You are greater than the doubt. Because You are the truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name.